65. What face could I aver that I have given such? And know how tender tease to a love the babe that milks me. That would certainly draw tears from the audience. But they would be tears of laughter. Not sympathy. I warrant you. Mumber mumber good master Fred. It won't do. I tell you. And in the words of Lady Macbeth herself. I say what beast was. Then. That made you break this enterprise to me. And now oblige me by walking your body off. For I have got my yesterday's guard report to fill up and send in in default of which I shall be sure to catch an official from the brigade major. But Fred not only did not walk his body off, but harping on the same string, pertinaciously continued to ply me with alternate arguments and entreaties, until at last fairly wearied out, and more, I believe, with the hope of getting rid of the importunate chink of the fellow's discourse, than anything else, in an evil moment I consented, hear it not, shade of Mrs. Siddons, to denude myself of the bushy honors of my cheeks, and tread the boards of the Bangalore stage as the wife of that atrocious usurper, Kinkaga Glammies. Fred marched himself away, elated at having carried his point, and I after sundry dubious misgivings and at the rash promise I had made, ended by casting all compunctious visitings to the winds, and doubtily resolved, as I was in for the business, to screw my courage to the sticking place, and go through with it as boldly as I might, by dint of continually studying my role. My dislike to it gradually diminished. Nay, that length was converted into positive enthusiasm. I became convinced that I should make a decided hit, and cover my temples with unfading laurel. I rehearsed at all times, seasons, and places, until I was a perfect nuisance to everybody, and my acquaintance, I am sure, to a man, wished both me and her bloodthirsty ladyship, deeper than plummet ever sounded, at the bottom of the sea. Even the brute creation did not escape the annoyance. One morning my English planter, Spot, ran yelping out of the room, panic-stricken by the vehement manner with which I exclaimed, Out damn Spot! Out! I say! And with the full conviction, which the animal probably entertained to the day of his death, that the said anathema had personal reference to himself. The evening big with my fate at last arrived. The house was crammed. Expectation on tiptoe. And the play commenced. The first four acts went off swimmingly. My performance especially was applauded to the echo, and there only wanted the celebrated sleeping scene, in which I flattered myself to be particularly strong, to complete my triumph. Triumph, did I say? I must here explain, for the benefit of those who had never rounded the Cape, that the extreme heat of an Indian climate is so favorable to the growth of hair as to put those whites who are afflicted with dark chevelures, which was my case to the inconvenient necessity of chin scraping twice on the game day, when they wished to appear particularly spruce of an evening. Now I intended to have shaved before the play began, but in the hurry of dressing had forgotten all about it, and upon inspecting my visage in a glass, after I had donned Lady Macbeth's night gear, the lower part of it appeared so swart in contrast with the white dress, that I found it would be absolutely necessary to pass a razor over it before going on with my part. The night was excessively warm, even for India, and as the place allotted to us for dressing was very small and confined, the bright thought struck me that I should have more air and room on the stage, whither I accordingly directed my servant to follow me with the shaving apparatus. I ensconced myself behind the drop scene, which was down, and was in the act of commencing the tonsorial operation, when, Horusco reference, the prompter's bell rang sharply, whether by accident or design I was never able to ascertain. 
but had grievous suspicions that Fred Gahigan knew something about it up flew the drop scene like a shot, and discovered the following tableau viva to the astounded audience, myself Lady Macbeth, with legs nearly a yard asunder face and throat outstretched, and covered with a plentiful white lather right arm brandishing aloft one of page its best razors, and left thumb and forefinger grasping my nose, in front of me stood my faithful Hindu valet, Varasani by name, with a soap box in one hand, while his other held up to his master's gaze a small looking glass, over the top of which his black face, surmounted by a red turban, was peering at me with grave and earnest attention, a wondering pause of a few seconds prevailed, and then one loud, rending, and continuous peal of laughter and screams shook the universal house, as if smitten with sudden catalepsy, I was without power to move a single muscle of my body, and for the space of two minutes remained in a stupor in the same attitude immovable, rooted, frozen to the spot where I stood, at length recovering at once my senses and power of motion, I bounded like a maniac from the stage, pursued by the convulsive roars of the spectators, and upsetting in my retreat the unlucky Murasami, who rolled down to the footlights, doubled up, and in a paroxysm of terror and dismay, Lieutenant Frederick Gahigan had good reason to bless his stars that in that moment of frenzy I did not encounter him. The detestable origin of the abomination that had just been heaped upon my head. I am no two-legged creature if I should not have sacrificed him on the spot with my razor, and so merited the gratitude of his regimental juniors by giving them a step. I had never since, either in public or private life, appeared in petticoats again. Songs for the Sentimental. Number 14. Oft had I fondly heard thee poor love's incense in mine ear. Oft bad thy lips repeat once more the words I deem sincere. But though the truth this heart may break I know thee false and no mistake. My fancy pictured to my heart thy boasted passion. Pure, dream thy affection. Void of art, forever would endure. Alas, in vain my woe I smother. I find thee very much more t'other. Twas sweet to hear you sing of love. But, when you talk of gold, you're sordid. Base design you prove, and for it must be told since from my soul the truth you drag, you let the cat out of the bag. Starvation statistics for Sir Robiardi appeal that the people of this country are grossly pampered there can be no doubt. For the following facts have been ascertained from which it will be seen that there have been instances of persons living on much coarser fare than the working classes in England. In 1804, a shipwrecked mariner, who was thrown onto the celebrated mud island of Coromandel lived for three weeks upon his own wearing apparel. He first sucked all the goodness out of his jacket, and the following day dashed his buttons violently against the rock in order to soften them. He next cut pieces from his trousers, as tailors do when they want cabbage, and found them an excellent substitute for that salubrious vegetable. He was in the act of munching his boots for breakfast one morning, when he was fortunately picked up by His Majesty's schooner Cutway. In the year 95, the crew of the brig Terrible lost all their provisions, except a quantity of candles. After these were gone, they took a plank out of the side of the vessel and sliced it, which was their board for a whole fortnight. After these startling and particularly well-authenticated facts, it would be absurd to deny that there is no reason for taking into consideration the comparatively trifling distress that is now prevalent. The fastest man, a person named Mira, says the Galway advertiser. Confined for debt some time since in our town jail. Fasted sixteen days. Sethorpe says this is an excellent illustration of hard and fast, and entitles the gentleman to be placed at S.I.B.D.H.O.R.P.'s con. Corner. Dear Punch. Have you seen the con? 
I made the other day, I transcribe it for you, though wealth's neglect and follies don't conspire to distress the poor. Pray can you tell me why sharp want can ne'er approach the pauper's door? Dorset he has rhymed the following answer, the merest child might wonder how the pauper ear sharp wants can know. When, spite of cruel fortune's taunts, blunt is the sharpest of his wants. Yours sincerely and comically, S.I.B.D.H.O.R.P. P.S. Let Bryant call for his Christmas box. The copper captain, at the public meeting at Hammersmith for the purpose of taking into consideration the propriety of lighting the roads, in the midst of a most animated discussion, Captain Acherley proposed an adjournment of the said meeting, which proposition being strongly negative by a small individual, Captain Acherley quietly walked to an open window, made a slight allusion to the hardness of the pavement, and finally achieved the exit of the dissentient by whistling, Take care of him, take care of him. That sentence has been my ruin, from my cradle upwards it has dogged my steps and proved my bane. Fatal injunction. Little did my parents think of the miseries those four small monosyllables had entailed upon their hapless son. My first assertion of infantine existence, that innocent and feeble wail that claimed the name of life, was met by the command, Take care of him, take care of him, said my mother to the doctor, Take care of him, said the doctor to the nurse, and, Take care of him, added my delighted father to every individual of the rejoicing household. The doctor's care manifested itself in an overdose of castor oil, the nurse, in the plenitude of her bounty, nearly parboiled me in an overheated bath, my mother drugged me with a villanous decoction of soothing syrup, which brought on a slumber so sound that the first half very nearly proved my last, and the entire household dandled me with such uncommon vigor that I was literally tossed and catchy catchy into a fit of most violent convulsions, as I persisted in surviving. So did I become the heir to fresh torments from the ceaseless care of those by whom I was surrounded. My future symmetry was superinduct by bandagging my infant limbs until I looked like a miniature mummy. The summer sun was too hot and the winter's blast too cold, what was death, and dry weather was attended with easterly winds. I was taken care of. I never breathed the fresh air of heaven, but lived in an artificial nursery atmosphere of sea coal and logs. Young limbs are soon broken, and young children will fall if not taken care of, consequently upon any instinctive attempt at a pedestrian performance I was tied round the middle with a broad ribbon, my unhappy little feet seesawing in the air, and barely brushing the ruffled surface of the Persian carpet, while I appeared like a tempting bait, with which my nurse, after the manner of an experienced angler, was bobbing for some of the strange monsters worked into the gorgeous pattern, crooked legs were taken care of by a brace of symmetrical iron shackles, and broad didmag walnut shells, decorated with flaming boughs of crimson ribbon, were attached to each side of my small face, to prevent me from squinting, when old enough to mount a pony, I was taken such care of, by being secured to the saddle, that the restive little brute, feeling inclined for a tumble, deliberately rolled over me some half dozen times before the astonished stable boy could effect my deliverance, while the corks with which I was provided to learn to swim in some three feet square of water, slipped accidentally down to my toes, and left me submerged so long that the total consumption of all the salt, and wetting in boiling water of all the blankets, in the house was found absolutely necessary to effect my resuscitation. At school I was once more to be taken care of, consequently I pined to death in a wretched single-bedded room, shuddering with inconceivable horror at the slightest sound and conjuring up legions of imaginary sprites to haunt my couch during my waking hours of dread and misery. 
Although I envied the reckless laughter of the gleeful urchins whose unmindful parents left them to the happy utterance of their own and participation in their young companions' thoughts, as a parlor boarder, which I was of course, to be taken care of, I was not looked upon as one of the fellows, but merely as a little upstart one who most likely was pumped by the master and mistress, and feached upon the healthy rebels of the little world. Christmas brought me no joys. Taking care of my health prevented me from skating and snowballing, while prospective surfeits deprived me of the enjoyments of the turkeys, beef, and glorious pudding. At eighteen I entered as a gentleman commoner at college, Cambridge, and at nineteen a suit of solemn black, and the possession of five thousand a year, bespoke me heir to all my father left, and from that hour had I had cause to curse the title of this paper, young and inexperienced. I entered wildly into all the follies wealth can purchase or fashion justify, but I was still to be the victim of the phrase, we'll take care of him, said a knot of the most determined play men upon town, and they did. Two years saw my five thousand per annum reduced to a one, but left me with somewhat more knowledge of the world, even that was turned against me, and prudent fathers shook their heads, and sagely cautioned their own young scapegraces to take care of me. All was not yet complete. A walk down Bond Street was interrupted by a sudden cry. That's him take care of him. I turned by instinct, and was arrested at the suit of a scoundrel whose fortune I had made, and who in gratitude had thus flaunted me out to the myrmidon of the Middlesex Sheriff. I was located in a lock-up house, and thence conveyed to jail. In both instances the last words I heard in reference to myself were, Take care of him. I sacrificed almost my all, and once more regained my liberty. Fate seemed to turn. A friend lent me fifty pounds. I pledged my honor for its repayment. He promised to use his interest for my future welfare. I kept my word gratefully, returned the money on the day appointed. I did so before one who knew me by report only, and looked upon me as a ruined, dissipated, worthless extravagant. I returned to an adjoining room to await my friend's coming. While there, I could not avoid hearing the following colloquy, Good heaven! Has that fellow actually returned year fifty? Yes. Didn't you see him? Of course I did, but I can scarcely believe my eyes. Oh! He's a deep one. He's a most honorable young man. How can you be so green? He has a motive in it. What motive? I don't know that. But, old fellow, listen to me. I'm a man of the world, and have seen something of life, and I'll stake my honor and experience that that fellow means to do you, so be advised and take care of him. This was too much. I rushed out almost mad, and demanded an apology, or satisfaction the latter alternative was chosen. Oh, how my blood boiled. I should either fall, or, at length, by thus chastising the impertinent, put an end to the many meaning and hateful words. We met, the ground was measured. I thought for a moment of the sin of shedding human blood, and compressed my lips. A moment I wavered, but the voice of my opponent's second whispering, take care of him, once more nerved my heart and arm, my adversary's bullet whistled past my ear, he fell hit through the shoulder, he was carried to his carriage, I left the ground, glad that I had chastised him, but released to find the wound was not mortal, I felt as if in heaven this act would free me from the worldly ban, a week after, I met one of my old friends, he introduced me by name to his father, the old gentleman started for a moment, then exclaimed, you know my feeling, sir you are a duelist, Tom, take care of him, P-U-N-C-H allied, song for punch drinkers, von S-C-H-I liller, from S-C-H-I liller, vire lamenti for be the elements, in a gesellt, 
Here we assemble of Bilden Dies Larben each of man's world bow and I welt, and existence an emblem. Pressed dear citroni press from the lemon soft hygens turn, the slow flowing juices, herbis deslarbens bitter as life in kern, in its lessons and uses, jets mit des zuckers bruise the fair sugar lumps, lindernem soft nature intended zamet by herbakers weak and severe bren craft, to be everywhere blended, deset des wassers pour the still water sprubung and schwall, and warning by sound, wasser umfanged eternity's ocean ruit dies all, is hamming us round. Drop fen disguises mingle the spirit. D said Venom. The life of the bowl, Rubendum Larban man is an earth clog jet er alien, and warmed by a soul. A is burdu if that drink of the streamscape that is Chanel, ere its potency goes. Nurwani are glue that no bath is refreshing labi dear quell, except while it glows. The school of design at HOKA and Kumasen Idiri. Wednesday last was the day fixed for the distribution of the prizes at this institution and every arrangement had been made to receive the numerous visitors. The boards had undergone their annual scrubbing, and some beautiful devices in chalk added life to the floor, which was enriched with a scroll work of whiting, while the arms of Hukan never a nose, rampant, with a hand, couchant, extending a thumb, ghoulies, to the nostril, argent formed an appropriate centerpiece. Seven o'clock was fixed upon for the opening of the doors, at which hour the committee went in procession headed by their chairman, to withdraw the bolts, that the public might be admitted, when a rush took place of the most frightful and disastrous character, a drove of bullocks that were being alternately enticed and marling spiked into a butcher's exactly opposite, took advantage of the courtesy of the committee, and poured in with great rapidity to the building, carrying everything including the committee most triumphantly before them, in spite of their unceremonious entry, some of the animals evinced a disposition to stand upon forms, by leaping onto the benches, while the committee, who had expected a deputation of savants from the Hampton Super Horse Pond Institution, for the enlightenment of ignorant octogenarians, and who being prepared to see a party of donkeys, were not inclined to take the bull by the horns, made a precipitate retreat into the anteroom, order having been at length restored, the intruders objected, and their places supplied by a select circle of subscribers, the following prizes were distributed, to Horatio Smith Smith, the large copper medal, bearing on one side the portrait of George III, on the reverse a figure of Britannia, sitting on a beer barrel, and holding in her hand a toasting fork, this medal was given for the best drawing of the cork of a ginger beer bottle, to Ferdinand Fitzfiggins, the smaller copper medal, with the head of William IV, and a reverse similar to that of the superior prize, this was awarded for the best drawing of a decayed tooth after teen years. To Sajis Monseptimus Snob, the large willow pattern plate, for the best model of a national water butt, to be erected in the teetotaler's hall of temperance in the Waterloo Road, to a loose use Junie's Brutus Brown, the Marshgate Turnpike ticket for Christmas Day of which an early copy has been most handsomely presented by the contractor, this full and interesting document has been given for the best design upon the River Thames, with the view to igniting it, the proceedings having been terminated. So far as the distribution was concerned, the following speeches were delivered. The first orator was Mr. Julius Jones, who spoke nearly as follows, Mithra President and Thub Theory Birth of the Hookham Kunstnidis Chul of Dithim, in riffing to a Drafuchin Athenly of Fifth Year the confusion became so general that our reporter could catch nothing further, and as the partisans of Mr. Jones became very much excited, while the opposition was equally violent, our reporter fearing that, though he could not catch the speeches, 
he might possibly catch something else, effected his retreat as speedily as possible. Queer queries. Not the best in the world. Why is a man with his eyes shut like an illiterate schoolmaster? Because he keeps his pupils in darkness. Better next time. Why is the present Lord Chancellor wickeder than the last? Because he's got two more vices. Forgive you as this once. Why are rabbits the greatest dunces in the world? Because they never get further than their abbacy ABC we'll never do so anymore. Why is an auctioneer like a man with an ugly countenance? Because he is always forbidding. We really could not help it. Why is Mrs. Lily showing the young princes like an affected lady's maid? Because she exhibits her mistress's heirs heirs. Important intelligence. A dispatch. Bearing a foreign postmark. Was handed very generally about in the city this morning but its contents did not transpire. Considerable speculation is afloat on the subject, but we are unable to give any particulars. Downing Street was in a state of great activity all yesterday, and people were passing to and fro repeatedly. This excitement is generally believed to be connected with nothing particular. We had our own impression on the subject, but as disclosures would be premature, we purposely forbear making any. We can only say, at present, that Sir Robert Peel continues to hold the office of Prime Minister, the broth of a boy, an Irish lyric, heir, I'm the boy for bewitching them wished, ye devils, now can't you be a Izzy, like a cat when she's licking the cremate, and I'll sing ye a song just to plaza you, about myself, Dermot Machane, you own, when I've told ye my story, and the Janies adorning my race, although I've no brass in my pocket, much chagra, I've got lots in my face, for in rainy or sunshiny weather, I'm full of good whiskey and joy, and take me in parts altogether. By the powers I'm a broth of a boy. I was sent on the mighty world one day, like a squeaking pig out of a sack, and, look, murder, although it was Sunday, without a clean shirt to my back. But my mother died while I was sucking, and larning for whiskey to squall, leaving me a dead cow, and a stocking brimful of just nothing at all. But in rainy, and see. My aim sisters, who were all famous at Donnybrook, got a great name, my aunt she sold famous good whiskey I'm famous for drinking that same, and I'm famous, like Master Adonis, with his head full of nothing but curls, for breaking the heads of the boys, sirs, and breaking the hearts of the girls, for in rainy, and see, oak, I trace my descent up to Adam, who was once parish priest in Kildare, and uncle, I think, to King David that peopled the county of Clare. Sure his heart was as light as a feather, till his wife threw small beer on his joy by falling in love with a pippin, which entirely murdered the boy, for in rainy, and sea. A fine architect was my father, as ever walked over the sea, he built Teddy Murphy's mud cabin and didn't he likewise build me. Sure, he built him an elegant pigsty, that made all the monster boys stare, besides a great many fine castles but, bad luck, they were all in the air for in rainy, and see, though I'd scorn to be rude to a lady, misfortune and I can't agree, so I flew without wings from green air and is there anything green about me, while blessed with a stock of fine spirits, that care, faith, my fingers I'll snap, I'm as rich as a Jew without money, and free as a mouse in a trap, for in rainy, and see, the weight of royalty, the social scale, the Prince of Wales it is allowed upon all hands is the finest baby ever sent into this naughty world since the firstborn of Eve, that a day old he would make three of any of the newborn babes that a month since blessed the union be of Savinox. Their island however, a remarkable providence in this, 
The Prince of Wales is born to the vastness of a palace, the little princes of pauperdom being doomed to a lie at the rate of fifteen and two beds tied together, are happily formed of corresponding dimensions, manufactured of more squeezable materials, their island be sure of it, a providence watching over parish unions as well as palaces, how, for instance, would boards of guardians pack their newborn charges, if every babe of a union had the brawn and bone of a prince of Wales, however, we could wish that the little prince was thrice his size and aspiration in which our readers will heartily join, when they learn the goodly tidings we are about to tell them, we believe it is not generally known that Sir Peter Lorry is as profound in Orientalist as perhaps any rabbi dwelling in Whitechapel, Sir Peter, whilst recently searching the Mansion House Library, which has been greatly enriched by Eastern manuscripts, the presence of the late Sir William Curtis, Sir Cialaudius Hunter, and the venerable Turk who was wont to sell rhubarb in Cheapside, and supplied dinner pills to the court of aldermen, Sir Peter, be it understood, lighted upon a rare work on the Mogul country, in which it is stated that on every birthday of the great Mogul, his magnificence is duly weighed in scales against so much gold and silver his precise weight in the precious metals being expended on provisions for the poor. Was there ever a happier device to make a nation interested in the greatness of their sovereign? The fatter the king, the fuller his people, with this custom naturalized among us. What a blessing would have been the corpulency of George IV. How the royal haunches, the royal abdomen, would have had the loyal aspirations of the poor and hungry. The national anthem would have had an additional verse in thanksgiving for royal flesh, and in our orisons set in churches. We should not only have prayed for the increasing years of our most religious king, but for his increasing fat. It is however useless to regret forgotten advantages, let us, on the contrary, with new alacrity, avail ourselves of a present good, our illumination on the christening of the Prince of Wales we at once, and in the most liberal manner, give the child his title has been generally scouted, save and accept by a few public-spirited oil and tallow merchants, it has been thought better to give away legs of mud on the occasion, than to waste any of the sheep and candles. This proposition it is known has our heartiest concurrence. Here, however, comes in the wisdom of our dear Sir Peter. He, taking the hint from the mobile country, proposes that the Prince of Wales should be weighed in scales weighed, naked as he was born, without the purple velvet and ermine robe in which his highness is ordinarily shown in not that Sir Peter would think that, as awful, against his royal weight in beef and pudding, the said beef and pudding to be distributed to every poor family if the family count a certain number of mouths, his royal highness to be weighed twice or thrice, as it may be to celebrate the day on which his royal highness shall enter the pale of the Christian church, we have all heard what a remarkably fine child his royal babyhood is, but would not this distribution of beef and pudding convince the country of the fact, how folks would rejoice at the chubbiness of the prince, when they saw evidence of his bare dimensions smoking on their table, how their hearts would leap up at his fat when they beheld it typified upon their platters, how they would be gladdened by prize royalty, while their mouths watered at prize beef, and how, with all their admiration of the exceeding lustihood of the Prince of Wales, how, from the very depths of their stomachs, would they wish His Royal Highness twice as big, is not this a way to disarm chartism of its sword and pike, making even O'Connor, Vincent, and P.I.N.K.D.H.L.I.E., throw away their weapons for a knife and fork, is not this the way to make the weight of royalty easy oh, most easy, to a burdened people, the beef and pudding representatives of his royal highness, preaching upon every poor man's table, 
would carry the consolations of loyalty to every poor man's stomach, when the children of the needy lisped plum pudding, would they not think of the prince, now, then, our readers know the obligation of the country to Sir Peter Lorry an obligation which we are happy to state will be duly acknowledged by the common council, that grateful body having already petitioned the government for the waste leaden pipes preserved from the fire at the tower, that a statue of Sir Peter may be cast from the metal, and placed in some convenient nook of the mansion house, where the Lord Mayor for the time being may, it is hoped, behold it at least once a day, this happy suggestion of Sir Peter's may, however, be followed up with the best national effect, Christmas is fast approaching, let the fashion set by the Prince of Wales be followed by all public bodies by all individuals, blessed with ought to give, let the physical weight of all corporations all private benefactors of the poor, be distributed in eatables to the indigent and famishing, when the alderman, with three fingers on the ribs, gives his weight in geese or turkeys to the poor of his ward, he returns the most pertinent thanksgiving to providence, that has put money in his pocket and flesh upon his bones, the poor may have an unexpected cause to bless the venison and turtle that have fattened his bowels, seeing that they are made the depositories of their weight, the standard of Christmas benefactions may admit a very curious illustration, for instance, we would not tie the noble and the aristocratic to any particle, 